Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. football season in the Southeastern Conference. What's up? This is Sports Talk Mississippi. Streaming at supertalk.fm, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, thank you for being with us. I almost went full good morning Vietnam on you right there. Not quite, but that's how I was feeling. The no, late Robin nothing Williams. wrong with feeling like that, by the way. And, you know, no. this week, this, so, so it's been like, Five weeks ago, we got the schedule release. Or maybe it was six weeks ago. And then it was, yeah, we're going to play. And then it was a new schedule. I, I don't even remember the order any of it has happened. I just know we've been counting down to this, and it's like, okay, we've got some hope. And, okay, we're going to push a little farther. And, hey, this is feeling like it's real. And then we got to Monday, and it was like, it's Monday of game week. But Monday of game week is still five days away from actual games. But we're, we're down to Christmas Eve. And, you know, barring an apocalyptic event between now and then, good Lord willing, creek don't rise and no positive COVID tests that are too plentiful, we are playing football in the Southeastern Conference in less than 24 hours. We know the teams traveled because there was a Florida bus in Oxford today and there was a Mississippi State bus parked outside of Tiger Stadium today. So these two games are going to be played because they traveled. They're well, there. I know, I know. Don't ruin it, though. You, you, you don't want me to give you the details on one bus going ahead and I know, like, taking all I the know, managers? Just, and Okay, I'm with you. I'm with you. It was hey, exciting Dad, you're looking to pretty see in pink today. What's up, man? It's magenta, I think. But Magenta, yes. he says. That's what it feels like. Uh, yeah, with the negativity there, Richard. Ixnay on that. No. From what you. Negativity? Well, uh, they send the extra bus. I don't want to hear it. We're playing football. Yes. I'm just saying your football players got on a plane and flew from Gainesville, and I, I don't know. Did they bust to Baton Rouge or fly to Baton Rouge? I think they bust. I could be wrong, though. Okay. Well, whatever. Yeah, man, I, I'm here for it. 11 a.m. kickoff for Ole Miss in Florida, 2.30 for Mississippi State and LSU. As you were saying before we went on air, beautiful day tomorrow. Ooh, so good. Um, I'll give you Baton Rouge first. It's currently 79 degrees. Tomorrow in Baton Rouge, the high is 84. So, you know, probably about 84 at kickoff. Yeah. A little south wind. I promise you it could be worse in September in Baton Rouge. And in Oxford tomorrow, the <laughs> forecasted high temperature is 82 degrees. Nope, nope, nope. That was Sunday. Tomorrow the high temperature is 79 degrees. Only a 10% chance of rain, partly cloudy, little wind out of the south, 
but just a breeze. That's it. Spectacular. I'll be honest with you. In a non-COVID world, like, like we need full stands, we need tailgating, I'd be perfectly fine with pushing the season back two or three weeks and, and beginning the football season mid to late September if we could make it work on the calendar. We need to talk about player safety. <laughs> it's not safe to be in that kind of heat. What about the calendar would prevent it? I mean, I guess they don't want to compete with NFL playoffs. That might be nah, something, whatever. but who cares? Whatever. You know, I mean, you're not beating them anyway, and you have your own day. And the NFL has already told, uh, basically told you, we don't want to have games on Saturday if you have games on Saturday. We're cool conceding Saturday to you. So I, I'm with you. Playing Look, games in August stinks, man. We're, we're playing the SEC championship game on the 19th this year. You could play from September 19th, which was last weekend, through December 12th. Everybody could have an open date. And then we, you know, 12 game season, one open date, play the championship game on the 19th. And then you don't have like 45 days off for the teams that get to the college football playoff, which they don't need. And you know, a talking point before the playoff games is well, the teams might be rusty because they haven't played in so long. Right. Well, here's an idea only take two weeks between them. Oh, but Richard, you're going to mess up the bowl season. Yeah, I'm sorry that we can't play the Las Vegas Bowl on the same day as the SEC and the Big Ten and the ACC championship games. No, we could. Sorry. We could. Yeah, yeah we could. We very easily could. Yeah. Oh, and I, I'm crazy. So the NFL playoffs aren't even until mid-January. I don't even know why I said that. You wouldn't compete with the NFL at all. Yeah. We're solving the world's problems here right out of the gate. Hey, we've got a bunch to get to with you this afternoon. Stephen Gagliano will join us today about 20 minutes from right now. We'll talk about the high school football matchups. And there's a lot to get to. There's some really good matchups as region play begins tonight in the state of Mississippi. Bruce Marshall will join us at 4.05 this afternoon. And then in the 5 o'clock hour, Luke Johnson to talk some Southern Miss football. We're going to make picks today during the college football fix and we, uh, we can't wait to do that. We'll talk about all the games that are going on. Borky's favorite segment of the year. Two questions. It makes its return today. Is this year four? Uh, I score think more this points is, year is not four. an operable answer. But we're going to get it. You know we are. Absolutely, we're going to get it. Don't forget, C Spire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. At C Spire, they're always asking the big questions like, why wait for the next device to get the device you want? Right now, you can get any iPhone for $100 off. A Benjamin, save a Benjamin, $100 off at your local C Spire store and online at cspire.com. So, late lunch for me today. Grabbed a burger and a bag of chips right before I came to the uh, came to the radio station, and I stopped in the uh, the Blue Sky Exxon station right here on uh, on Highway Six. You know they've been passing out. I guess they've sent these out to season ticket holders. It's just kind of a little thank you memento. Hey, Dad, you need one of these Elaine Kiffin bobblehead. Yeah, give me one, sure. And, and you know how bobbleheads desk. work. They're like six or eight inches tall, and they come in a little box. You pull it out, set it on your desk, and you never think about it again. So I'm standing in line, and I look to my left, and it's like, oh, that's not a six- or eight-inch-tall bobblehead. That one is six feet tall. So as I was standing in line waiting to check out, that is a life-size bobblehead of Lane Kiffin. 
We, we got his thoughts on it yesterday. Yeah, we played some audio from Kiffin yesterday, and he said uh, it was creepy. And we quote, and I quote, it's creepy. It's creepy, I don't like it, but it they took some pounds away from me, so people are going to be disappointed when they see me in real life. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the greatest quote of the entire offseason came from Lane Kiffin. I actually heard it when you guys played it yesterday, when he said, look, I mean, I've been coaching in Conference USA. It's not like I haven't, I'm not used to socially distanced crowds. <laughs> Harsh but fair. It was harsh. It was fair. And uh, a couple of Southern Miss fans texted in and were like, "Yeah, yeah, he's right." What what are you gonna say? What are you gonna say? Yeah. Um. I just like I just want to pause just for a second. It's like, okay, need to take a deep breath. Where are we going? So much football to get to. And here's the good news: there's only been one game canceled today. What one game postponed? Georgia Southern against uh, Charlotte. I think this is the second consecutive week that Will Healy's team is not playing, maybe because of their opponent last week and because of them this yeah, week. I, I don't exactly. know, whatever. That you got it um, right. You know, you don't need downtime for these guys. Got to keep them in a rhythm. Keep them, keep them in a routine. They got last week off. Whatever. But uh, no Power Five games other than Notre Dame Wake Forest, which was announced back on Monday. I think it was. Everybody in the SEC looks like they're playing, and. Unless I'm mistaken, which is altogether possible, no other league's been able to start like that. Like the ACC had a cancellation week one. The Big 12 has had a couple of cancellations, including one on week one. We're trying to get all seven of them in tomorrow. And Missouri, I mean, at least based on context. Now, like with Florida, for example, we know last week they had six positives. So how many are going to have to quarantine on top of those six? We don't know. But based on the knowledge that we do have, Missouri's not going to bring 85 guys to the field tomorrow. They've been hit pretty hard. They will have, I mean, double-digit guys and then some out for the game, but they are still going to play the game. But they've been hit hard. Yeah, yeah. Ceasefire text line, it just means more, boys. I mean, at some point you can't even argue it anymore, right? I mean, it's yes, the truth. it does mean more. And so we were probably going to get to this point regardless, but it was pointed out again last night. The transfer thing is making me cool on him, but the way Greg Sankey approached all of this is the difference. It's not just because all the SEC, we care about football more here, and that's why we're playing no matter what. The approach the SEC took to this was the smartest one, the most pragmatic one, and drama-free. And that's why we're playing games tomorrow. Not because we care more, because the head guy and the athletic directors and everybody involved did it the right way. That's why we're here. Mike says beef burger or gator burger. Yeah, it was beef. Normally I get the bacon cheeseburger, but uh, they were out of that, so it didn't work out today. Uh, Thomas was the bobblehead holding the infamous cup. Uh, No, it was not. Jeff says, tomorrow I will be pulling for the Rebel, Landshark, Black Bears, the Bulldogs, and the Golden Eagles. Jeff, just going to cheer for the state of Mississippi tomorrow. I like it. Like being here with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. There we go. 
little sandstorm on a Friday. Sports Talk Mississippi, thank you for being with us. Hey, Dad, give me one thing that interests you. I know there are a lot. One thing that interests you about tomorrow's matchup between Mississippi State and LSU. I mean, I don't know the record for attempts in a game by a Mississippi State quarterback, but I'm, I can't wait to see it fall. I can't. I, I am... I have been trying to wrap my brain around Mississippi State being a team that throws the ball 50-plus times a game since Mike Leach was hired. It's impossible to do without seeing it. So I am interested in finally seeing first down, five wide, third and two, we're going to throw it. I want to see that from Mississippi State tomorrow. That's what interests me. Better complete that pass. Better do it. Otherwise, Fred from Section D on row 13 is going to be, why are you running the ball? Why are you not running the ball? Had fun with that for a long time. Since the day Mike Leach was announced, we, that's that's what we've been going with. Somebody says, what was that music? That music is Sandstorm by Darude. Or Darude. How do you not know what that is? How do you go to, how do you, you go to a college event in the last decade? They Come do on. it so well at South Carolina. It's just with the towels and the students, once the beat drops, they're all jumping up and down, just going, USC, USC, USC. It's intimidating. It's an old song and stuff, but they do it right. I'm not usually on the cutting edge, especially in terms of music. I actually discovered that song before it became mainstream. Oh, this guy. What? Hipster he's, a, he's a sandstorm hipster over here. No, no, no. No, so like going back to 2000, 2000, 2001, so I was working in the marketing department at Ole Miss while I was still a student, and we were talking about revamping the basketball like pregame intro. It was before they could turn out the lights and Tad Smith. I mean, I'm taking you way back, Borky. Um, and so we got the robotic lights that kind of hung on the underside of the video board. Uh, convinced folks to spend that money, and we're trying to revamp the whole deal. And I went to there was a basketball tournament in Connecticut that Ole Miss played in, and I was feeling it. David Kellum was still doing football at the time, and there was a club, like a legit club, in the lobby of the hotel, and there was a DJ in the club on like a Friday night or a Saturday night, and I was sitting in there, and he played that. And I was like, oh, that's it. We got to get that music and use it. Nobody was it. South Carolina hadn't started playing it at football at that point or anything. And it just kind of didn't happen. And I look up, uh, I guess what, fast forward to, oh, was it 07 or 09? It was 2009, right? No, no, 2009, Ole Miss at South Carolina Thursday night game. Oh, yeah. Ole Miss goes in ranked, what was it, fourth in the country, something like that. I was there. I played a game the next day, too, but I was there. I was I was there as well, and um, one of the loudest like fifteen minute spans in a stadium in my life, and that was the night that Sandstorm was born at South Carolina. They kicked it up, and people reacted, and they kicked it up again, and people reacted louder. And at one point, you looked up, and the entire end zone was shaking, like the upper deck of the end zone, not the opposite the student section, was shaking. And it was it wasn't even sold out that night. No, I mean they announced it sold out crowd. The upper corners in the upper decks were, were open, but the place felt like it was about to cave in on itself. The, those people went through years. It, it, I mean, 
Ole Miss and Mississippi State fans are tortured fan bases as well, but South Carolina was in the gutter of the SEC forever. Oh, uh, yeah. They did 1-10, 0-11. Yeah. They, they were where Arkansas is right you now. can't. Hold on. Hold on. They've only been in the conference since 92. We're talking about the basement forever. Well, it's Mississippi a State program. Ole Miss. I mean, they stunk before they joined the SEC, too. They, they have a well, history I can't help that, them with that. of football success that is Steve Spurrier and I mean, they have Ooh, a Heisman Trophy there. winner. That's it. So, yeah, they they deserved that little bit of success that they got. Well, yeah, I'm. You know, it's a good thing that Houston not decided to conserve Dexter McCluster for some other time. <laughs> yeah, we didn't want to run him too much and get him hurt. No, let's. Here's an idea. Let's not use your best player when you're ranked fourth in the country playing in prime time on Thursday night until the game is out of reach in the fourth quarter. That is good coaching. You think Kiffin's got that in the game notes tomorrow? Don't hey, am I going to get sued by Tom Morris for saying that? By the way, you sound a little bitter there. I'm not going to lie to you. Just a little, just a touch. Of course, if you brought up something like Sylvester Croom did. I'd probably go down that same path. So we won't, we won't go too far. Mm. Mm. I'm sorry, Borky, you ask a question. Oh, just do you think that's in Kiffin's game notes tomorrow? Don't use Jerry and Ely. Could get hurt in his game notes. Hey, I got a question for you. Somebody asked me. I was on uh, Chuck Oliver's radio show earlier today, and he said, over or under, Jerry and Ely lines up at running back for 51% of the offensive snaps, over or under. At running back. He said not at slot, not Ooh, at H-back, really in the backfield question. as the running back. Man, Chuck's good. That's a great question. Um, what was a little half frown there for? Hey, Dad, what are you thinking? I was thinking. I mean, like because I mean they've got Connor and they've got that kid Parrish. I've heard a lot Parrish. about. Yeah, they love yeah, him. So I mean, they got they got depth back there. So they could do that. But and that would be smart to do. I mean, if you look at past offenses under he and his offensive coordinator, and we played the audio yesterday, it's Levy's offense. Kiffin's there for support, but he's letting his OC do his thing. Two-back sets are potentially pretty common. Now, we'll see what they use old Mrs. Personnel like, but you very well could see Ely and Connor or Ely and Parrish or Parrish and Connor, some kind of combination, a yeah. lot. So I, I went I, over. That would be but, my but guess, too. Maybe not a lot over. But no, I, I think they recognize what Jerry and Ely is. He's a running back. I mean, yeah, yes, moving around, do different things for us. I mean, Clyde Edwards Lair last year was a running back for LSU. Yeah, three, four times, four or five times a game, he lined out as wide as you could get as a wide receiver. You're starting to see that in the NFL as well. People are using yeah. running backs for more than just running backs. I mean, if you got a playmaker, get him the ball in any way you can. So I think that's a really good question, though. I, I'm on the edge right now of like, Anything nostalgic as it pertains to football just like gives me like like we're so close and it's like on the edge of just about anything will make the hair on the back of my neck stand up. I read this text and it did. Loudest sporting event I've ever happened, uh, ever attended, happened 14 years ago today when the Superdome reopened. Amazing atmosphere. Yeah, that clip's been shared on Twitter a a lot today. That's a good one. What's yours, Richard? That loudest that ever? South Carolina? Oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. Um, th- there, there are three, and I don't really know how to differentiate. Okay. 2015. Is it 15 or it was 2015? 
Uh, yes, 2015. Ole Miss at LSU. Okay. When Ole Miss went in top five in the country. And that was the 10-7 to game. No, that's 14. Okay, it was 14. Whatever. Yeah. So I was off. So it was 2014. Went in top five in the country, 10-7 game, bogus holding call, calls back a touchdown. I, I, I've said this before, that was the first experience. You know, all this LSU has always been cool. That's the first time that I had been to a game there where LSU approached Ole Miss the way they pro- approach Alabama when they come in. Yeah, or the way they approach the Georgia or Florida. And you got the full-throated 103,000 Oh my gosh, they really do have the ability to affect the outcome of a game that night. Um the 15 game was in Florida. The red shoes I got knocked over. The, yeah. the swamp was rocking that night. It yeah. was I mean packed to the gills. And then the third on my list and again I don't know really how to differentiate the three is um Opening night last year in New Orleans, Superdome against the uh, Houston Texans, it was, it was insane. In, and 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 that one in the Superdome last year was the 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 thing to me about New Orleans is it's a sustained loud. Like most stadiums you go into, especially outdoor stadiums, it's kind of like a roller coaster. It gets loud and then it calms down, and it gets loud and then it calms down. When the Saints were on defense early in that game, Borky, you've been in there. It's from first down until the punt. It never gets quiet. No. Now it, it peaks a yeah. little bit, but but that I think is the first time where I walked away from a game and said, "My head hurts, my ears hurt. They are ringing. When is it going to stop?" So that's probably the loudest, actually. Those other two are pretty loud, too, though. And it's so cool. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Streaming at supertalk.fm. we got a lot to get to. Let's talk some high school football with Gags, Steven Gagliano, when we come back. Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. A little fight song Friday action for you. Tip of the cap to the Alabama Crimson Tide. Will they make a return to the college football playoff this year? I don't know. We'll see. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. That's not entirely true. Steven Gagliano is in Studio X in Jackson. Same seat he will be in tonight to host... The uh, Farm Bureau Insurance Company scoreboard show in its 25th year begins at 10, 30, uh, 10 o'clock and runs until 11.30 tonight. And, of course, we'll host the preview show immediately after we get finished. Gags, what's up? How are you guys doing on this football Friday? Could not be more excited. I'm... And it's not just for what's happening tomorrow. Region play begins tonight in the state of Mississippi. And as I understand it, we got some pretty interesting ball games. That's right. No need to wait until tomorrow for all of the excitement, although I know I'm not moving off my couch tomorrow, and I'm really looking forward to that. But yeah, with region play starting tonight, you have perhaps the game of the year, and that's Starkville and South Panola. Uh, obviously, we've heard all about Luke Altmeyer this season and coming into the season with Starkville, but South Panola, I think, if they win this game... That puts them in the driver's seat to win Region 2 of 6A, which is so cluttered. You've got Starkville, South Panola, Madison Central, all those teams, and Warren Central, by the way. 
a quiet 3-0 and so far this season. But South Panola, I think, has a really good chance to win this game, although coming into the season, like I said, Starkville was presumed to be the favorite. We talked to Judge Carlson last week, who told us about Martez Clark, the running back for South Panola, really coming on strong, replacing Janari Dean, who's now at Mississippi State. They've got Cam Wright at wide receiver, who's a Memphis commit. Uh, the quarterback, Ontario Draper, starting to come into his own. So that's going to be probably the game of the night across the state in Region 2 of 6A. And then dropping down to 5A. Hold, hold on a second, hold on a second, hold on a second. I, I, I want to engage in something here. Yeah. I'm setting the line in this game <laughs> at uh, Starkville minus 9. Hmm. Who you got? I would take South Panola with the points there. Ooh, I do think okay. I do think Starkville is going to win this game, but I think South Panola keeps it really close. Last year, when these two teams met, Starkville won at twenty-four twenty, and so I'm predicting something similar tonight. Okay, fair enough. I just and, and I don't even know that that's the right number. I just kind of picked that out of thin air. I started to go eight and a half to you know bring the hook into play, and uh, so we'll see. Uh, that that certainly will be a fun one. So that's in Region Two of Six A. Where do you go from there? From there, I drop down to Region One of Five A. You've got Lafayette and West Point, two of the best teams in Five A meeting. And, and they have had some battles, Stephen. They have, yeah. I think the last, what is it, seven meetings in this series have all been decided by a touchdown or less. Mm. So another game that I think could kind of come down to the wire, and if you're giving me a line on that one, I would probably put it somewhere around four and a half or somewhere like that. Now, I don't, are we going to get in trouble for uh, for setting lines on high school football? We, I mean, we couldn't be any more degenerate if we tried. Yeah, <laughs> as long as we don't take the bets, we're okay. Hey, yeah, we had a, we had a guy in high school that would uh, he would set a line on the the local game each week. I don't think anybody actually had any action with it, but it was kind of fun to play around with it. Anyway, yeah, I, th- I think Borky's right. I think as long as we don't actually take any money, I think we're good. The, the, yes, <laughs> we don't need to get in the bookmaking business on Sports Talk Mississippi. All right, so that's a 6A game and a 5A game, and that's two really, really good ones. That's for sure. And then, so I'll give you another one. I'll give you an MAIS-MHSAA matchup, which those Ooh. are always kind of fun, and that's Jackson yeah. Prep and Taylorsville. Jackson Prep is 4-0, and Taylorsville 2-0. and They got off to kind of a later start to the season, obviously, with everything going on. But Ty Keyes, we've talked about him before being one of the best players in the state. He's currently committed to Louisiana, I believe. And they Tulane. Won- Tulane, thank you. I'm thinking of uh, Zy McDonald at Ridgeland, who's also a really good player. So you've got Ty Keyes there, and they lost this game to Jackson Prep 28-0 last year. I don't see that happening again this year. I think this is a chance for Ty Keyes to really prove himself. And I don't think Jackson Prep has been tested like they will be tonight so far this season. So I think that's going to be a really intriguing matchup. Stephen, what stands out to you about what we've seen through the first three, four weeks of the season? I think really what has stood out to me is how these teams have learned to really just roll with the punches in what is obviously a really strange year. And we're seeing that in terms of scheduling, and we saw it this week. Brandon's game with Terry was canceled. Gulfport's game against St. Martin was canceled. And now both of those teams decided to get together and play each other. And so 
And so Brandon, with, Brandon and Gulfport? Yes, Brandon and Gulfport will play tonight. Same thing with MRA and Corinth. Uh, they had two different opponents for this week. Those games got canceled, and they decided to play each other. So I think teams are really figuring out that they don't have to let these kind of things stop them, and they can, they can get on the field, and they can give their players a chance each week. And obviously, the teams with the positive test and those kind of things, they do have to shut things down. But I think once the season got started, teams learned that this is just going to be something that they have to deal with, and they're doing just that. And so while there's been a lot of good football on the field, obviously, and I don't think it's been as much of an adjustment on the field as we would have thought, but I think off the field as well, teams are, are really coming out of this very strong. Press pause on this just for a second. Breaking news, not only is the Pac-12 coming back, they're going to attempt to play football. We'll give you the details on that in a little while. The Mac, who was one of the very first to shut it down, has, has said, hey, don't, don't leave us behind. Don't forget about us. We're going to play two. Every Tuesday night from now until March, you will have a Mac game on. We'll, we'll give you the details on that coming forward. So I've got my every, Tuesday nights back. Every FBS conference will play that football. That would be 10 week. out of 10. That would be 10 out of 10. Overreact much, folks? Yeah. Just say Just a little. <laughs> Stephen Gagliano visiting with us. He is the host of the Farm Bureau Insurance Company's Mississippi High School Scoreboard Show, which begins at 10 o'clock on Friday nights during the football season and runs until 11.30. Also, the uh, the preview show. I know some of the games that we have talked about are the games that you will be discussing tonight. What else is coming up for the preview show? Uh, Will East actually hosts the preview show. Uh, he is not here. I'm not 100% sure what is coming up on the preview show. I apologize for that. All good. So <laughs> we'll continue to look at things as we get ready to uh, roll into region play, which, uh, which happens tonight. Oh, okay, I asked you know, what stood out to you. Is there a surprise for you in the, the first month of the season? I'd say the surprise could actually be Germantown. Germantown finished under 500 last year, missed the playoffs, but they're off to a 3-0 and start to this season. And I think they've gone about it a very quiet way. Their defense is playing really well, and they actually play Warren Central tonight, who is also 3-0, and behind Kendrick Thompson, really good quarterback. He's got... Uh, I think last week he had like 20 carries, 10 completions, so he's really doing it all for Warren Central. But I think so far Germantown is kind of that surprise team to me. Hey, Dan, anything for St. Al? St. Al Capaya starts off uh, region play tonight. Anything there, Stephen, you want that you're focused on? I think it's, I think it's a process, right? Yes. First you play a game and you don't score. <laughs> then you get a field goal. Then you get a touchdown. Maybe this week you can string a couple things together and, you know, Take a lead. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> we'll know, see where it takes us. I'm glad you said that because that answered a question for me. Because last week they lost 44 to nine to Riverfield, but I wasn't sure if that was maybe they did, a, a touchdown. They got in the end zone. Okay, I didn't know if that zone. was three field goals or not. So, so uh, this this week could be a big breakthrough, multiple touchdowns. You never know. Fingers crossed. So mentioning <laughs> alma maters, the uh, reigning 6A state champion Oxford Chargers, who uh, carried the trophy off the field for the first time uh, ever last year, are undefeated so far this season. And uh, open region play at South Haven tonight. Wait, yes. those guys couldn't get it done when you were playing quarterback? Hmm. Nope. Ah. <laughs> nope. Any other questions? Hey, we didn't come close either. Don't worry. I'm looking- Gags, is Oxford doing what you thought they would do? 
You know, they are. We talked about the, the kind of talent that they had to replace at the beginning of the season. A couple weeks of quarterback flip-flopping for them as they try to figure things out, but still able to navigate an early schedule here. They got a win in the Crosstown Classic that was all kinds of crazy. You had ejections, you had uh, muffed kicks, you had turnovers, all that kind of <laughs> stuff. So I think they were able to kind of wade those waters in the early part of the season, and I think you're going to see the identity of that team truly start to roll in here in the next couple weeks. And, and Region 1 and 6A... Uh, a little bit different than what you see in Region 2, right? Yeah, kind of wide open at this point. Or not really wide open, excuse me. I think it's more top-heavy than Region 2 would be. Region 2 is pretty crowded. But I think Oxford has a chance to kind of separate themselves once again in Region 1. We'll see how it all shakes out. Stephen, always appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. Stephen Gagliano, he hosts the High School Scoreboard Show. Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance Company's High School Scoreboard Show gets started tonight at 10 o'clock. We'll run until 11.30. Cast of characters, announcers, parents from all over the state of Mississippi that check in and let you know what's happening all over the state. Sports Talk Mississippi, we will be right back. All right, so here's the news. The MAC will begin play November 4th with a six-game conference-only schedule. Presidents and chancellors unanimously approved it earlier today. Their championship game will be played on either Friday, December 18th or Saturday, December 19th. Six games in the Pac-12. You also got the approval from the Pac... I'm sorry, in the MAC. Six games in the MAC. Also got the approval from the uh, Pac-12. They are going to move forward and play football Pac-12 CEO group yesterday unanimously voted to allow the conference to play college football this fall. They will play a seven-game season beginning Friday, November 6th with the uh, Pac-12 championship game scheduled for Friday, December 18th. Apparently in the Pac-12, they don't know that football is played on Saturday in college. I'm just kidding. Sorry. Fans will not be permitted to attend games. Though the Pac-12 announced earlier this month that it will be able to conduct daily COVID-19 testing and improve its cardiac monitoring for athletes, the league has faced other hurdles in its return to play, including uh, state and local health restrictions that have created issues for programs hoping to begin working out and practicing, including, I guess you guys saw this, no gatherings of college students in Boulder County, Colorado, which is where University of Colorado is. Yeah, and the football team got into some kind of trouble. The day after they all got tested and were negative, they went on a hike. As a team. Like 100 of them, right? 107 was the total number, which, you know, considered a large gathering. But they were outside on a hike. Not, you know, cuddling. And they got in a bunch of trouble for that. Are you sure? They were cuddling? I mean, I guess it's possible, but... It's good to see the Pac-12 come back. I have far less, and we talk about this a lot, but I have far less desire to make fun of them for being late or whatever, just because their circumstances were very different than that of the Big 12. I mean, California, they had to do a special order like last week to get them to be able to work out in their weight room. So, different animal for those guys. It's good to see them come back. I'm not inclined to make fun of them near as much as I was the Big 10. Yeah, I agree with that. But... I would like to make fun of the was the president of Oregon State, former president of LSU, said that the SEC wasn't dealing in reality. Here's the quote. Reality. Give it to me. Is this F. King? Yeah. 
If, what did he screw up this time? He screwed Alexander. up plenty in Baton Rouge. This was uh, a while ago, but... Uh, Read pa- it. Uh, here's, here it is. So the Pac-12 called off football this fall. The SEC is not asking Oregon State President F. King Alexander what the Pac-12 is seeing that the SEC is not. He said, quote, I think reality. Oh. But then... Oops. Oh, but the, the, the testing has changed. Nope. Game changer. Makes everything said previously null and void. We were operating with the best information we had at the time. No, you're a bunch were of you? screwballs. Were, were you, though? Were you? Nope, you weren't. You're trying to win an election. Trying to keep people right, let's, let's not talk afraid. About elections today. No elections yeah, good today. point. Good point. Hey, Dad sent me a, a screen grab last night um, of... Our favorite reporter from The Athletic, who was very critical of the SEC for continuing to play. This was. From the Athletic. Oh, wait, who from The Athletic? Nicole Auerbach. That- this was her take on the Pac 12 oh. last night. <laughs> the fact that we have options there is funny, I know. by the way. This was her take on the Pac 12. Squeezing in a fall season allows these athletic departments a chance to bring in some of the lost money from media and TV deals and college football playoff, gives players something to play for, and also gets them back on the same timeline as the rest of the Power Five heading into 2021. And the problem I had with what she was doing wasn't so much, and I don't know if you caught this, Borky, but she tweeted a bunch last night about the Pac-12, and all of them were set to no replies. Yeah, can't reply to it. You couldn't reply to her, and I'm just like, you know, I like Nicole Auerbach. I think she's a good writer. She's written some very interesting stuff that I've read, Mm -hmm. but... Come She's a good reporter. Very good. Come, come on, man. You've got to be able to take some heat. The, the, the water, it, it, it's almost sort of like the whole Skip Bayless thing here. It's like, they're just they're just changing the narrative. They're like, we said this. For, I need a SpongeBob uh, transition. Look, Four weeks later. And it's totally different. I'll tell you who I'm going to give some credit to. And we did it in real time, and I want to circle back to it. Stuart Mandel who about a month ago wrote a column where he said, I need to reevaluate how I am handling COVID as it relates to college football. It was almost like one of those investors, even though they're all on the West Coast, cares more about money, and they told the guy who was the managing editor of the college football portion of The Athletic, hey, maybe you ought to stop trying to can't get college football canceled. Whatever the reason. I don't care what the reason was. If it was that... If he actually did have an epiphany, if he realized that he was talking down to people and was being slanderous and maybe it was good for business, I I, I don't know. Whatever the reason, he said, my bad. I'm not going to change how I feel about COVID, but I am going to change how I write and report on college football in a COVID era. And he apologized and has been fine since. At least he owned it. At least he said, this was the agenda that I was pushing. I'm going to let that go. I'm going to stop having it be so agenda-driven. I'm going to try and bring you college football news. Everybody else, nope, nope, just going to hide and pretend like it never happened. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. We are on the eve of the start of Southeastern Conference football and happy to talk with it with our buddy in the desert, Bruce Marshall from the Gold Sheet. You want to follow Bruce on Twitter? You can do it at Bruce A. Marshall. He joins us right now on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com 
and go with the home team. Bruce, one of the things I love about you, as, as you and I have gotten to be friends through the years, it's not necessarily handicapping games. It's your sense of history. And it, it's not it's not just sports history. It's political history and news history. But let's talk sports history. And, and one of the things you do at Gold Sheet is most weeks you write a cover story. And this week, you revisited one of the all-time iconic football games in 1970. Yes, that USC-Alabama opening game, uh, which has taken on a life of its own in the last 20 or so years. It took about 30 years before the media figured out the importance of that game. But I don't even think it was the most important game that opening day, 1970. Stanford and Arkansas played a game in, in Little Rock, actually, that day. That was uh, actually the feature game that weekend and had every the ABC game. It was the feature game in Sports Illustrated the next weekend. It, it had all the ramifications that SC Alabama had. I think the national media, uh, being as Alabama crazed as they are, they, they can't believe there was a period of time when Arkansas was actually a better team than Alabama. And those two years, the Bear had, you know, Alabama had slipped a little bit. But I wanted to write a little about that SC team because I think there's one part about that game that was very misunderstood. And most of the national writers who have been talking about that game, they have their own angle they want to play up. But that team, from what I understand, and I'm doing some other work on the, on those, the SC teams in that era. But in 70 and 71, uh, that team had some internal problems, and some of it was race racial-oriented. Uh, so it's kind of, sort of ironic that that team, as the first fully integrated team to go into into uh, Birmingham to beat the, the Tide. Um, got a lot of credit for that, but it actually ended up being torn apart internally by some of those same things. I also pointed out, I, I think the real game that sort of turned, the integration was happening in the SEC, but when Tennessee went into Legion Field and whipped Bama in 69, and Jackie Walker uh, danced into the end zone with that uh, errant pitch of Neb Hayden, I think that shook the uh, Bama uh, crowd and, and really indicated the SEC, okay, this is going to be full-blown integration. And it wasn't a couple of years. So I think that was actually the moment when things turned around in the SEC. And if you were a fan of the history of college football, I would encourage you each week to check out goldsheet.com. Usually early in the week, there's a cover story up there. Uh, Bruce is a, a good writer and a great historian of the game. Bruce, before we dive into picks, tell people where they can find your work, where they can find your picks every week. Yeah, check it. Thanks, Rich. Check us out online at goldsheet.com. It's a new online publication this year. Easier to read. Guys who have some uh, eye trouble like me, it certainly makes it easier. And uh, easy to read and easy to navigate format up there online, goldsheet.com. My picks there, they're also at Vegas Insider and donbest.com. Let's walk through this slate of SEC games, and we'll just do it chronologically. We'll start with Ole Miss in Florida, an 11 a.m. kickoff on ESPN. Florida ranks fifth in the country. They are a two-touchdown favorite. Minus 14 total in the game is 57. How does this one shake out on opening day? Well, you know, we'll see. In a few years, Lane Kiffin might burn some bridges like he's done in the past, but the honeymoon period might be interesting. Uh, he has not been left a barren cupboard by Matt Luke. Uh, Ole Miss was better than most 4-8 and eight teams last year. They were close in a lot of those games. You saw up close. You know what I'm talking about. And uh, the Rebs were actually 8-3-1 against the number last year. Both quarterbacks are, are back. We're hearing uh, Corral's going to start. But we're going to see a lot of Plumley. One of these guys ain't going to be here uh, a year from now, I don't think. That's my prediction. So uh, we'll see how that plays out. But a couple of options for Kiffin there. Um, and I think, uh, you know, he had some pretty good success with Florida Atlantic. He knows the SEC territory. I think if the defense isn't 
a roadkill here. I think they're going to hang around. Uh, Dan Mullen will win this game, I think, back into Vaught-Hemingway after four egg bowls with the Mississippi State. Um, and Trask was a better fit for what he wanted to do than Felipe Franks. But they didn't run the ball that well last year, and I think that was the difference why Florida didn't quite get over the hump. They were really good, won their bowl game against uh, Virginia, but they just weren't quite uh, balanced enough offensively. Until we see that, I'm not sure they can handle this sort of a price out on the road. We actually liked Ole Miss as a key release this week. That number is just too high. Uh, 31-29, our gold sheet score forecast for Florida, but we like the Ole Miss plus all those points. Two-point win for Florida, Ole Miss plus the 14, keeping it close, and uh, we'll see how that shakes out. Also at 11 a.m., SEC Network, you think they care about their football in the state of Alabama? Only about 22,000, 23,000 at Jordan-Hare Stadium. The -the get-in-the-door ticket price on the secondary market, $1,100 for a top-25 matchup between number 23 Kentucky and number 8 Auburn. Bruce, I have been looking at this game for for five weeks now since the matchups came out, and the opening line was at like 10.5 or 11, and I loved Kentucky. But everybody in America has this as like their upset special this week, and that scares me to death. Auburn, a a 7.5-point favorite. What do we do? Yeah, I mean, they have bet this thing down. I think as long as it stays over at TD, you probably can still be in there with Kentucky. Um you know, Lynn Bowden was really the story last year, and and you know, and give Mark Stoops credit for uh, for adjusting the offense for him. Um, and, and and Bowden ended up rushing for almost fifteen hundred yards in about half the season. I mean, that was incredible. But uh, Terry Wilson, a quarterback, has been there. He won the ten. They won ten games with him two years ago. Won the bowl game against Penn State. If you look at Mark Stoops' roster, he has upgraded it. And you just look at you know where the kids are coming from now. He, you know, he used to go, it was in Ohio, was the only place he'd go outside of Kentucky to get players when he first got there. Now he got kids in the Tidewater, Florida, uh, Georgia. I mean, he's, he's, he's got a pretty wide net, and they've gotten better every year. They've got a defense. And I'm not sure about Bo Nix. I don't know. There's some, he blew kind of hot and cold last year. And Gus, uh, you know, even numbered years, he's generally had a little bit more trouble. That's because he has to play at Alabama and Georgia. These, and that's coming up sooner than normal, the Georgia-Auburn game. Anyway, we took uh, Auburn to win 23-20, but we're going to take Kentucky plus the points. Mark Stoops has been a pretty good dog coach the last couple of years. That would be back-to-back underdogs to start the picks. Is it three in a row? Mississippi State goes to LSU. Big number here, LSU 16-and-a-half. That one's kind of settled throughout the uh, the course of the week. So LSU, big favorite at home. They are replacing almost everyone on both sides of the ball. First game for Mike Leach at Mississippi State. Yeah, I mean, LSU could still be really good this year. Uh, but I don't think they're going to be the generational team they were last year. Like you said, Rich, they just lost too much players and coaches. And um, uh, they've had COVID problems throughout the summer, too. So, I'm, you know, we're not sure how that's impacted things. And Leach, of course, has come in here. He's going to have the air raid. The Stanford grad, grad transfer, uh, Costello, is going to be a quarterback. I think the deal you want to watch at Mississippi State, though, is the new-look defense they've got. Leach made a very shrewd hire when he got this job, and uh, Rocky Long left San Diego State. But his defensive coordinator, Zach Arnett, was out there available, and, um, and Leach scooped him up. So he's a Rocky disciple. They're going to use three-three-five, a very unorthodox defense, which caused a lot of problems in the Mountain West, at least, for teams against San Diego State, and uh, could very well disrupt some things in the SEC. Watch Mississippi State's defense. The Farnets can do what we think. They might not be all that bad. We took the points here, 30-20 to 20, LSU to win. 
a lot of mystery both ways here, but I just think that looks too many for a team that's replacing so much from a year ago. First time that you have ever had three games, three SEC games on the same weekend, where you had three favorites of 24 or more points. And in this case, it's actually ending up at 28 or more points. Uh, Arkansas, big underdog at home against Georgia. Alabama, big favorite on the road against Missouri. Texas A&M, 31-point favorite at home against Vanderbilt. That doesn't even feel like enough points to me, looking at Texas A&M against Vandy. Do you agree? I agree. Uh, and Vandy is really, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, the surprising thing is that Vandy has never had a winless season. You'd think they would have bitten the big donut once throughout their life, but usually they get uh, some sort of a layup in non-conference play and usually scratch out an SEC win. I think Derek Mason might have the donut this year. Uh, I don't, the offense totally rebuilt. They brought in Todd Fitch from La Tech uh, to try to install some of what he did with uh, Skip Holtz there the last couple of years, but he doesn't have any experience at quarterback. And uh, Jimbo's got like everybody back, and he's been a pretty good double-digit favorite. And uh, I think he's going to step on the pedal the way Tom Herman is also under some pressure at Texas. We saw him do that to UTEP a couple weeks ago. I wouldn't be surprised if um, if Jimbo does the same thing here. 48-10, to 10, Texas A&M will lay it. Mm, 48-10. I'm, I'm not even convinced it's going to be that close when it's all said and done. Hey, we've only got time for one more, Bruce. Tennessee, South Carolina, tightest line in the league tomorrow. Tennessee, three-and-a-half-point favorite. Darren Tano back at quarterback. Not sure what to make of South Carolina. What do you think here in about 30 seconds? Yeah, this is an an underdog series. Eight straight times the underdog is covered. That includes Tennessee at home last year, which was the turnaround game. They won six straight to close the season. But uh, I think the fact that Tennessee is a short price and Tennessee's momentum, and uh, Will Muschamp's in some trouble here. Uh, We're going to give Tennessee the call. 28-20 volunteers tomorrow at Williams-Brice. Talked about five games, had three dogs and two favorites. Vandy is a, uh, or excuse me, A&M is a huge favorite. Tennessee is a favorite on the road. Underdogs, Ole Miss, Kentucky, and Mississippi State. Bruce, that was fun. Glad to have SEC football back and look forward to talking to you next Friday. Look forward to it, Rich. Thank you. Bruce Marshall at the Gold Sheet, goldsheet.com. We will be right back. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, Friday afternoon on the eve of the start of Southeastern Conference football. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey, and Brian Haydad, Luke Johnson will join us in the 5 o'clock hour. We'll talk a little Southern Miss with him. What would you guys think about Bruce's picks just a second ago? Took uh, Ole Miss as an underdog, Florida to win, but Ole Miss to cover. Mississippi State as an underdog, actually had the under in that game. He had 30-20 to 20 as the predicted score. I think the total is 57, and uh, took uh, LSU 30-20, to 20, but not covering. Also took Kentucky, covering the 7.5, and, and then picked um, Texas A&M big over Vanderbilt and Tennessee to win against South Carolina. Hadn't thought about Almost the three. under in Mississippi State LSU until uh, he brought it up. I mean, it's it's possible that both offenses kind of struggle for a little while. Uh, I mean, you've got a new quarterback with a bunch of new weapons and uh, all kinds of inexperience and also a unique defense that probably up until now, Miles Brennan and LSU haven't really studied all that often uh, with the style of defense that Mississippi State's going to play. And on the flip side, it's a very similar thing. New system, 
Not a lot of experience, and the experience they do have is not great at wide receiver for Mississippi State. Still a very talented LSU team. Could be uh, an offensive struggle there for a little while. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think both teams will, will put points on board. But uh, his uh, his result, I think Mississippi State fans should take that and run. His picks were very similar to Lee Sterling's yesterday, since you weren't here, Richard. He, bo- he took both uh, Ole Miss and State to cover and also took uh, – he took Kentucky outright. He said wrong team favored. He liked the Wildcats in that one. I just got this weird vibe on that game. It, it, it's almost like when everybody is saying, oh, it's going to play out this way, that's when it feels like it's a little more safe to run the other way. Yeah. But I don't know. Has your feeling changed at all about this game? About Kentucky? Yeah. No, they're they're going to win that game. They're going to win. You know, hey, the thing that I that I keep going back to is, I think Kentucky is really really good at the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. And regardless of how much things there. have changed in college football, still line of scrimmage game. I think you said something, and I cut you off. My apologies. Well, I said Auburn has question marks in the line of scrimmage. They on lost the, a ton. They lost a ton on defense, and they they lost you know some of their offensive line. They guess they have questions there. I think Auburn's going to be really, really good defensively. Really good defensively, but I think they've talent, got huge question marks on the offensive line. They have a lot of talent, but they have they the experience isn't as much as it was a season ago. Yeah, but they the way Kevin Steele, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, my, my, my concern is this. I saw what Mississippi State's defense was when Jeff Simmons went away, and I'm concerned that Auburn would have the same thing with Derrick Brown going away. You know, one guy can draw that kind of attention. Auburn's going to be more talented, though, everywhere else uh, compared to Mississippi State, though. Well, they were, but they are, but it still should come down a little bit. And their defense is what won games for them last year outside of the, uh, the crazy Iron Bowl. What I was going to say about Kevin Steele, he has done, I think, a better job than most in integrating new players into a system before they come become starters. You know, Nick Saban does that uh, does a nice job with that with you know third down packages where they'll they'll bring younger guys in where they're locked in. You know, they're not practicing necessarily the entire defense. They are focused on specific packages and being ready for those. Kevin Steele's done a really good job taking underclassmen, getting them into games, getting them into experience in significant situations, but in limited, like like small bites, bite bite size situations, as opposed to having to try and eat the whole ha- the whole ham all at once. And as a result, seems to have guys ready to go. And I just think they're really deep on the defensive side of the ball. Obviously led by Big Cat on the defensive line. Derek Brown was such a force a year ago. That's a great point. Uh, I, I don't know what Auburn's going to be offensively, though. Um, yeah. It doesn't feel like they've got that bell cow running back that they've had so many times through the years. Still questions about Bo Nix. I would anticipate that he would take a step forward. But has he got the weapons to do it? He's got some per- couple of pretty good receivers. That's just a fascinating game to me. And it'll be happening at the exact same time that Ole Miss and Florida play tomorrow. That's why I have two TVs going. Yes, for some of us, that will be a bit of an issue. Yes. 
have to uh, have to record some uh, record some games and go back and uh, watch later uh, later in the evening. Yeah. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad want to hear from you. What uh, what's your upset? Upset. Mike in Oxford says Army plus fourteen is the bet of the year. Army is playing Cincinnati. Army's game against BYU last week was canceled because of COVID, and so the Black Knights have had two weeks to prepare for a really talented Cincinnati team. I kind of like Army in this spot. Army's been so close to not only covering but getting a big win in the last couple of seasons. They do Oklahoma, they were, Michigan. Yeah, 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 they were close, and they may not win this one, but they'll be close. Plus fourteen, that's a lot of points to give Army. Yeah, it really that is. style of play and that big of a line. Yeah. So, what is what is the return of all college football? It's spread out, right? I mean, so we got started a month ago with a handful of games, and then we got the ACC, and they've had some cancellations. Got in the Big Twelve, they've had some cancellations. So far, everything looks good for the SEC. By the way, Mississippi State did fly to Baton Rouge. They have landed. They're all getting on the buses. We've seen screenshots of them in Baton Rouge. That one looks to be good. Florida, Florida on its get way on to plane. Oxford. So there's Florida that. made it on the plane. So you know, it looks like everything is going to happen as we expect it to happen tomorrow in the SEC. Now you've got the announcement that the Pac-12 is coming back. The MAC is coming back. The Mountain West is. Everybody's going to play. What does this mean to you guys? It means that we were smart about things down south. We, we were patient. You know, we're, we're a patient people down here anyway. We, we, we're not always in a rush. The, the Big Ten decided it wanted to be in a rush. Had to, had to go ahead and cancel. I don't know why, just had to do it. The SEC, and the SEC at no point in the, before they released the schedule, and even to this point today, having said, we are for sure playing football. They just, we're going to take it as it comes and make our decisions based on the information we have day-to-day. This is a day-to-day situation. What's true yesterday may not be true today. And came out the better for it. And now the, the, the so-called stubborn six should be called the smart six. They were the smart ones, and everybody else were the idiots. <laughs> no mincing words there. What else can you say? It doesn't feel like there was ever any reason to do what the Big Ten and the Pac-12 did. Despite the claims that they were so smart and they were doing it better and they cared about health and all that mattered was playing football in the SEC, well, you look up and guess what? Everybody's doing it. So maybe it kind of matters everywhere. Borky, you're a golfer. Most people that play golf at some point in a group setting have played Wolf. Wolf is, generally speaking, a five-man game. And you, you rotate through the holes, and each player has the opportunity to tee off first on a hole. And when you hit your shot, you have the opportunity to select one teammate. And so in a five-man Wolf game, you are playing two on three. The other thing you have the opportunity to do is not select a teammate and go lone Wolf which puts you on an island all by yourself, you have the advantage because you hit your shot first. So if you knock it to six feet and you feel confident in the putt and you watch another guy hit and and, and the second guy hits it to 20 feet and the third guy misses the green 
and the fourth guy goes OB, and the fifth guy hits it to 25 feet, you may say, you know what, I like my chances. I think I'm going to have a better score on this hole than anybody else, and so you can play everybody. And the bet doubles when you do that. But you're out on an island all by yourself. And it's a little bit of an uncomfortable spot. you got to be really confident in who you are, and you got to be confident that you can make that putt, and you just live with the consequences if somebody chips in from 25 yards off the green. Or if a guy makes a 35-foot snake. That, that drops in and beats you with a birdie, and the bet doubles again. That's just how it works when you go lone wolf. In college football, we found out that the Big Ten, even with a teammate in the Pac-12, didn't really like standing out there all by themselves. Those two didn't like being the lone wolves, if you will. I know the analogy is not perfect, but you understand what I'm saying. And so now you've got everybody... It's staggered. It looks a little bit different. Some people get fans. Some people don't get fans. But nobody wanted to be the one standing out there all by themselves saying, yeah, we're the smartest guys in the room. Even if maybe it would have turned out to be true, it's a whole lot easier to go with groupthink and everybody be on the exact same bus. And that's what we've gotten to. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll ask two big questions next. Jason on the C Spire text line says, despite y'all's bluster, the Pac-12 had plenty of legitimate reasons. They probably shouldn't have just moved the or they probably should have just moved the season back instead of canceling, but still, not into lumping them in with the Big Ten who did it just for PC slash political purposes. That's fair enough. And we talked about that earlier, that we don't necessarily lump the Pac-12 in with the Big Ten because the situation was Significantly different on the West Coast, especially in some local spots in California, Arizona early on, although I think those have gotten better, and uh, and Oregon as well. So, worth noting. All right, Borky's favorite time during football season, time to ask two questions. Yeah, four years running on this thing. We'll start with. Should we have a music State? bed for this by now? That's a, I was just about to say we. You know, this should be like a winners and losers thing. We have two questions. Yeah, I'm just one guy over here though. Um, <laughs> Mississippi State absolutely has to do what if they want to pull the upset tomorrow? Keep their defense off the field by any means necessary because that's the weakest part. They got to find a way with Mike Leach's offense to try to control the time of possession as much as they can. I don't know if that means giving Kylan Hill maybe a couple more carries than you thought in Jaquavius Marks. Uh, you know, working the short passing game, but they have to move the chains. They have to be effective. Then you obviously need to put some points on the board. But if they can limit the the number of possessions LSU has, that's how they can win the football game. Yeah, but that flies in the face of everything Mike Leach has ever done. Uh, it's not the. Again, I think there's this misconception of Mike Leach's offense just being four verts and throwing it down the field as much as you can. You know, no, but they, they're they, fast. Their drives are short. Even when they're scoring, they're short drives. Well, they can score if they score. It's no big deal. But if they <laughs> if they're not scoring, then they do need to find a way to you know just to to keep time of possession and keep the ball as much as they can. I'm going to go an altogether different route than that for Mississippi State. The thing that Mississippi State must do to win the football game tomorrow is make Miles Brennan uncomfortable in his very first start. He's excited about finally earning that opportunity. He has waited his time. He's grown up in that system. He learned behind Joe Burrow, the Heisman Trophy winner last year, and now it is his team. It is his turn. 
And you want to put some doubt in his head and, and do it early. See if you can get some pressure on him. See if you can force him into a bad throw early. See if you can give him some happy feet in a pocket that's not clean and, and just kind of makes him feel uncomfortable. If you can do that, then maybe that LSU offense doesn't click the way it will later in the season. Certainly doesn't click the way it did last year. And then Mike Leach's offense got to go score some points. We'll see if that happens as well. But my key for Mississippi State is make Miles Brennan, first-year starter, uncomfortable in the pocket. That would have been mine as well. Mississippi State absolutely cannot do what? They can't let LSU knock them out early. If you remember last year's game, State was in that game well into the second quarter, basically to the half, the, and they, they they stayed in the game. And then, of course, LSU pulled away. But that's because State could not do anything offensively. I think this State team is better, so if they can find a way to make it a game at halftime, they can maybe make a, a game in the fourth quarter. But if they come out and they let LSU hit them early and it's 14 nothing Tigers with seven minutes to go in the first quarter, it's going to be a really long day in Death Valley for Mississippi State. Porky, this is one of like the, the tenants in college football, so I'm not exactly reinventing the wheel here, but Mississippi State can't turn it over. I know they don't have Kerry Vincent. I know they lost a bunch of pieces on defense, but they've got Derek Stingley Jr. on the outside. They've got maybe the best safety in the SEC, and Bulldogs, K.J. Costello, got to protect the football. Punting is not a bad thing. You don't want to do it all the time. You, you want some scoring drives in there. But you can't give a freebie. KJ Costello can't, you know, miss on a coverage, make a bad throw, and watch Derek Singley take one to the house. Can't give free points the other way if they are going to pull the upset up on the road. I've written down basically something similar to Hey Dad. Mine was can't have short drives early. Have okay. to move the football, even if you don't score, just have drives that. You get a couple first downs, help yourself with field position, even if, even if you have to punt the ball away. A couple of early three and outs, I mean, can end the football game that quickly if if you're not having early success offensively. Uh, so that w- was mine. Ole Miss absolutely has to do what if they want to upset Florida tomorrow? This is kind of two-pronged, which maybe is not the right way to answer this. Florida's got some experience on the defensive side of the ball. And Ole Miss likes its offensive line group. They think seven deep, they stay healthy, they've got seven pretty good ones. And they think they're three pros on the offensive line. They've got to give Matt Corral a little bit of time to throw the football. So, So that would be part one. And then part two is... When an opportunity presents itself for a big play, Ole Miss can't miss. If they take a shot down the field and Elijah Moore or Dennis Jackson or Jonathan Mingo or Kenny Yaboa has got one-on-one coverage and has his man beat, the throw has got to be on target. They've got to capitalize on big play opportunities when they present themselves. They may not present themselves all that often, But when they do present themselves, Ole Miss has to capitalize. I have two written down. The first one was run the football. And everybody wants to run the football, but I think it's especially important tomorrow because I don't think you're beating Florida one-dimensional through the air. Their secondary is too good. There's too much experience. There's NFL guys all over the back end of that defense. 
So you're, whoever the quarterback is, Matt Corral, is not beating Florida by himself. So you have to run the football, force Florida to play downhill, get some one-on-one matchups in the, the back end of the defense, because that's the only way you're winning. If it's you're not having success running the ball and you're forcing Matt Corral to try to win the game just throwing one-dimensional offense, it's not happening. Florida's too good in the defensive secondary uh, for that to happen. The other one I have written down is uh, you have to play clean. I mean, to your point, you have to play clean football. You can't turn it over. Florida can afford a couple turnovers. Not a couple, but Florida can afford to turn the football over. They can afford to miss an assignment here or there because they have a better roster. They have a better team than you do. Ole Miss has to play clean. If they don't, they have no shot at winning the game. No turnovers, no missed assignments, no penalties, playing on schedule. That's the only way. They can't overcome it. Their opponent probably can. Hey, Dad, any thought here? Yeah, Ole Miss needs a fast start. You know, this is a, a, a young team that they lost so many close games a year ago. They, they need to come out and, and get some confidence early. It doesn't necessarily have to be you know, 21 nothing at the end of the first quarter. But you know, get, get a drive in the end zone, get a field goal, move the ball, don't go three and out on your first possession. Make a couple of you know, make a play on defense just just to get the, the the juice going a little bit. That that's what Ole Miss needs in this game. They need to to build their confidence early so that they can have a chance late. Ceasefire text line: Ole Miss has to slip in some false positive COVID test results for Florida, forcing them to sit out. Greg and Nettleton says score points, Rebs. That would uh, somebody says uh, can't turn the ball over. Got to get into the end zone and not kick field goals. All right, Borky, what's part number two? Part number two, just the opposite. They absolutely cannot do what? Allow Kyle Trask to sit in the pocket like a statue and take his time to survey the field. Florida lost some guys in receiver, uh, in the receiving corps. Van Jefferson, chief among them, he's now playing in the NFL, the former Ole Miss receiver. Kendarius Tony is back. He is certainly a good player and can hurt you. But you can't let Kyle Trask sit back there and be comfortable and take his time and survey the field and figure out whether or not he's got a mismatch with Kyle Pitts and see what's happening with Kendarius Tony and then maybe go to his third or fourth option. That Ole Miss defensive line, which is a little bit of a question mark, got to figure out a way to get some pressure. Yeah, that's uh, mine written down was let Florida get behind you. Uh, Ole Miss is secondary. I mean, it's Friday, by the way. It's Friday. And Dean Leonard, as far as we know, I mean, yesterday – the answer was not yet. A guy that played in Canada last year, he's a Canadian, played Canadian college football, got his season canceled, ended, right? Doesn't exist. Can't play football in Canada. Gets cleared by the NCAA, had a, t- a-, a teammate, probably going to start on the defensive line for Ole Miss, also in Canada, gets cleared by the NCAA, SEC says he's good to go. We played audio from Lane Kiffin yesterday say, hey, he's probably starting, and we haven't heard if he's allowed to play and that's an SEC call. Maybe things have changed since we played that audio, but the fact that it was this late in game week, it, not even the Otis Reese side, this is a kid from Canada. This is a complete no-brainer. It's not like he was playing at Auburn last year. He was playing at some school you've never heard of in Canada, and he would be starting <laughs> in the secondary for Ole Miss if he was cleared by the SEC. What are they waiting on? That's ridiculous, and then Otis Reese as well, but with or without those two guys, Ole Miss is... Um, wasn't good in the secondary last year. So Florida getting behind you, that'll end the football game. So keep Florida in front of you and try to at least, if Florida's going to score on you, make them do it in multiple plays. But if you give give up any big plays, it's over.
Hey, Dad, 20 seconds. One thing Ole Miss can't do. Don't change quarterbacks. Stick with Corral. Okay. going to be interesting to see what the role is for John Rice Plumley tomorrow and throughout the season. But I guess we'll get a glimpse of that tomorrow. How does he fit into the game plan? He's a playmaker. You think he's got to be on the field. You think he's got to get some touches. Hey, Dad says, though, it can't be at quarterback. Those are your two questions. Always fun. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll wrap up the 4 o'clock hour next. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll dwell on this a lot because it's kind of negative-ish. Not related to Ole Miss or Mississippi State, but, you know, we're kind of having an upbeat, fun Friday leading into the opening weekend of the college football season, but... If you don't love Mississippi State's opponent tomorrow, then maybe this is a story that will uh, grab your attention. You may remember a month or so ago, LSU was lobbying, begging, pleading, hoping to have their football infractions case with the NCAA separated from their basketball infractions case from the NCAA. They said, look, the football investigation is over. It's kind of reached its completion. Just give us our penalty on this and let us move on, and then just do whatever you need to do with basketball. They didn't say it exactly that way, but that's basically what they said. We will allow basketball to be the sacrificial lamb, punish it into the Stone Age, do what you must do. We'll fire Will Wade, whatever. It's fine. Just, Just do it, but don't mess with the sacred cow. The Golden Goose, LSU football. Bad news, LSU. LSU's infractions case will be resolved through the Independent Accountability Resolution Process, the IARP, and the football and basketball cases will be lumped together as one overall case. And that is most likely... Not good news for LSU athletics. It should not be good news. But, you know, with all of their connections by marriage and previous employment, LSU's pretty uh, dialed in at the NCAA office. However, this should be bad news. So a request, this is according to the NCAA, a request for referral of the infractions case involving LSU to the IARP was granted by the infractions referral committee consistent with rules and procedures governing the process. Details about the matter will remain confidential until the IRP releases its decision. The independent accountability resolution process is comprised of independent investigators, advocates, and adjudicators who are responsible for reviewing select Infractions cases in Division One. It's created in response to recommendations issued by the Commission on College Basketball. You hate to see it. You really do. <laughs> hey, Dad said that's my line. I'd work up a tear if I had one. An athletic yeah. department that does just seeing somebody like that. Um, just get the short end of the stick when it comes to the NCAA. It's just such a shame, you know? I mean, place filled with integrity and people that just do it the right way, goofy accents, lovable characters, and to have them be unfairly targeted like this, just just a shame. 
One other nugget from the NCAA, if you are interested. The Division I Football Oversight Committee recommended waiving the requirements for bowl eligibility for this season. That recommendation came yesterday. To be eligible for a postseason bowl, a team must meet the criteria to be considered a deserving team, which is generally defined as having a 500 overall record against FBS opponents. The Football Oversight Committee's recommendation would eliminate that requirement for this year. For this season only, postseason games could be played between December 1st and January 11th. Schools must continue to meet APR requirements for postseason eligibility. The recommendation requires approval by the Division I Council. They are scheduled to meet mid-October. The recommendation recognizes the impact of COVID-19 on the 2020-21 playing season. Let's talk about what this means locally. Just an example here. Let's say that, um, we'll just use Ole Miss as an example. Let's say there are some bowl games. Whether or not they're 41 of them or whatever the, the actual number is, you know, we'll see. But let's say the Liberty Bowl is played this year. And Ole Miss finishes the season on a, on a strong note. But let's say they're a game below 500. That they are four and six, and some restrictions are relaxed a little bit, and maybe they're able to play the Liberty Bowl with a forty to fifty percent capacity. But it's still kind of a weird travel year. Could you see a scenario where the Liberty Bowl says it's been a long time since Ole Miss has played in this game? They got a new coach. It's an easy trip. This is the way for us to sell the most tickets in a short amount of time. Hey, Ole Miss, would you accept an invitation to the Liberty Bowl? Can see that. Makes, makes perfect sense. And Ole Miss would jump on it. There would be. Oh my goodness! Are you kidding me? I mean, however Absolutely many tickets Ole Miss could sell, they would sell them. It would be like State when they went no seven. And I mean, maybe maybe Ole Miss isn't isn't eligible. Or maybe Ole Miss is better than that. Maybe they go seven and three, and they're going and playing in a bigger game. But Mississippi State finds itself in the exact same spot, same scenario. Liberty Bowl says Mississippi State, we got a spot for you. Come on down. And this isn't going to be as bad as people think because with everybody coming back to play, it's that they're not going to have two and ten, two and eight type of teams coming into this. There's going to be plenty of five hundred or close to it teams. hour of the week, last hour before the college football season begins in the SEC. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad with you on this Friday, the 25th of September. Happy birthday, Mom! A mom's birthday today. Hey. Yeah. She might be listening this afternoon, or might not. She's a regular listener, especially when she's on the road. She, uh, she will occasionally, like she's going to see my brother in Dallas. She'll be driving through Little Rock listening to us on the uh, Super Talk Mississippi app. So uh, proof right there that it works and uh, and works well. My mom's the best. And uh, text her this morning, talk to her, get to see her a little while ago, and uh, look forward to fully celebrating her birthday on, uh, on Sunday. It's a little uh, Sunday brunch. So it's going to be fun. Uh, Sports Talk Mississippi, thanks for being with us. Online C Spire, or excuse me, the uh, C Spire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Want more fast and less furious? 
Switch to gigabit C Spire Fiber and see what real Internet looks like. No data caps, no long-term contracts, no cancellation fees. Learn more at cspire.com slash fiber. Time right now for the College Football Fix. We are going to make our picks in just a little while. I've got a story I want to share with you first, and we, uh, we're we going to start keeping our, our record right now. We played around with that idea back at the beginning of the season. We're going to start it with the start of the SEC. We'll carry it all the way through, and uh, maybe we'll have a trophy or something like that at the end for the uh, winner of the picks. College Football Fix, driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Don't you wish you were behind the wheel of a brand-new F-150 or Super Duty or Ranger Maybe rolling south to Baton Rouge this weekend if you're one of the select Mississippi State folks that's going to be able to make that trip or rolling into Oxford or headed over to Fayetteville or anywhere in between. It's truck month. Great savings. Great selection. Check them out at your local Mississippi Ford dealers. I don't know if you guys talked about this yesterday or not. Did did you get to the the 25 most influential people in the SEC? No. No. Okay. This story was published yesterday through AL.com. John Talty's got the byline on it. There were a bunch of people that were involved with it. Uh, they polled 30 people, combination of athletic directors, administrators, coaches, agents, search firm consultants, journalists, and other industry sources to put together this list. And I'm not going to read you what they say about every one of them. But, but let's walk through the list. Tied for 25th, Ed Ogeron. And I love what they say. If someone told you five years ago Ed Ogeron would be one of the most influential people in the SEC, you might have never stopped laughing. But they won a national championship, and so that changed. Alan Green at Auburn is tied for 25th. Bill Hancock at 24. Kirk Herbstreet at 23. Kirby Smart at 22. Scott Woodward, the LSU athletic director who previously was the Texas A&M AD, hired Jimbo Fisher and Buzz Williams at A&M, probably going to have to hire a new basketball coach, and just won a college football national championship at LSU. Don Staley is at number 20. Ross Bjork is at number 19. Here's what they say about Bjork. On his second stop as an SEC AD, frequently offers a smart perspective in league meetings, according to those in the room. Never been shy about aggressively pushing his beliefs, whether in meetings or publicly, and has seen his influence in the conference grow after moving to A&M. As one longtime SEC administrator put it, quote, whether it's a good influence or not, he's going to influence, close quote. Missing in that excerpt is his willingness to be patient and wait to tell his side of the story. Number 19 on the, or excuse me, number 18 on the list, Finn St. John, the uh, chancellor at Alabama. Ray Tanner, the athletic director at South Carolina. I thought this was fascinating. Says he can tap into his perspective as a former SEC coach, but doesn't force the conversation that path. There's a sense around the SEC that Tanner could be close to retirement, and when he does, the SEC will lose one of its, its wisest voices. Greg Byrne at 16, Scott Strickland at 15. One of the most media-savvy ADs from his time as an SED, Strickland was one of the first ADs to really embrace social media and pushed Mississippi State to be innovative. Now at Florida, SEC insiders point to him as one of the most active and influential ADs in the room. Beyond his Florida duties, his most important role is a as a member of the College Football Playoff Selection Committee. I feel like I know Scott well enough that he needled Greg Byrne about being ranked ahead of him. <laughs> You think so? Yeah, I bet a text was was sent. Yeah. 
Hey, Greg, congratulations on being the 16th most influential person in the Southeastern Conference. Hey, did you see where I finished on the list? <laughs> exactly. Just curious. That's exactly how that went, yeah. Scott's a, such a bright guy and, and such a good guy. And there were Mississippi State folks that were, were frustrated when he left for the Florida job and have taken their shots at him along the way, but he is incredibly well-respected by his peers. Yeah. 14 on the list, Charlie Hussey. Deputy Commissioner of the SEC, multiple industry sources believe Hussey, who was named Deputy Commissioner last December, is is being groomed to be the next SEC Commissioner whenever Greg Sankey decides to leave. The Ole Miss graduate runs the SEC office's day-to-day operations and has had an active role in many of the conference's TV deals, including the creation and operation of the SEC Network. One AD called Hussey, quote, a superstar, close quote, and he has deep connections throughout the league after 20 years working in the league office. John Calipari at 13. This one's interesting. Robert Fuller. Ever heard of him? He is an attorney at Robinson Bradshaw. I had never heard of this name. The Charlotte-based lawyer is only known to true conference insiders, but as one AD put it, we don't do much of anything without talking to Robert Fuller. He is in on every major meeting and every big decision. He provides perspective on TV rights, major legal cases, and could impact the conference and other pertinent information. The SEC's go-to outside counsel since Mike Slive's tenure as SEC commissioner isn't pushy with his opinions, but has had a say in every major SEC decision for more than a decade. That's fascinating to me. And that's a name that I feel like I'm fairly keyed into what's happening at the league office. I don't think I've ever heard that name before. Number 11, a combination of Alan Gold and Nick Kahn from Evolution Media and formerly CAA. Nick Kahn actually left CAA to go run the WWE, hey, Dad. Nice. He's now their president. When the SEC hired Alan Gold and Nick Kahn to negotiate its next TV contract, it signaled to many that a big payday was coming. Gold and Kahn played an important behind-the-scenes role in providing SEC leaders with the necessary information when considering their options. Though no official deal has been announced, Gold and Khan had a say in the SEC leaving CBS and putting all of its TV rights with ESPN. Khan represented Herb Street and Paul Feinbaum as an agent and recently left CAA to become the president of the WWE. Number 10 on the list. We're getting into the high cotton now. Mark Keenum, president at Mississippi State. Longest tenured SEC president. Has long been a powerful voice in a room that has changed dramatically in recent years currently serves as chair of the College Football Playoff Board of Managers, has previously served as the SEC's president, actively involved in the creation of the SEC network, and still has a major say in the look of the network as part of the league's content committee. Is he really the longest-tenured president in the SEC? How about that? I did not know that. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of turnover in that spot since Mark Keenan became president at Mississippi State. Mitch Barnhart, the dean of the SEC ADs at number nine. Burke Magnus at ESPN. He is their vice president president for programming, acquisitions, and scheduling. He negotiates the big deals. Jerry Moorhead at uh, the University of Georgia. It's president number seven. Paul Feinbaum, number six. Eli Capaluto at uh, Kentucky is the president. This is really fascinating. The timing couldn't have been better for Dr. Capilouto to serve as the SEC's president. Amid confusion and concern over the COVID-19 pandemic, 
having someone with Capaluto's credentials, doctorate in public health and management, and a master's in epidemiology, leading the conference's presidents and chancellors proved critical when considering whether to play football this fall. Capaluto also served important national roles until August as the chair of the NCAA Board of Directors and a member of the 25-person NCAA Board of Governors, which took an increased role, uh, importance role in 2020. Kentucky, the consummate basketball school, their president may be the reason that we're playing football tomorrow, or a big part of the reason. Number four on the list, Jimmy Pitaro, the new president at ESPN. Number three is Jimmy Sexton, sports agent at CAA. Fair. Number two is Nick Saban. And number one, no shot here, Cross. Greg Sankey. Oh, I'm sorry. I was 26, hey, Dad. Sorry. Oh, okay. You should have been ahead of Herb Street. I don't get him. Sankey, the most powerful man in college sports. Amid a power struggle with the Big Ten's Kevin Warren, Sankey deftly guided his conference during the most treacherous period in college sports history. His patient, analytical approach has never been more popular as the SEC prepares to kick off its season this weekend while chaos enveloped the Big Ten for months before the conference backtracked to play this fall. Sankey played a big role in recent TV rights negotiations and will be influential on the key college topics for years to come. Interesting list, 25 most influential people in the Southeastern Conference. We're making some picks when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. You want to be part of the conversation, you can on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Time for us to make our picks. We're going to keep up with them week to week, and we're just going to do a stake bet. Sure. Everybody in? That works. Borky, you in? Yeah, that works. Okay. So the uh, the winner... I'm so excited about it. The winner of our season-long competition, making picks, gets uh, gets their dinner bought by the uh, combination of the other two. Fair enough. Done. And hey, Dad can attest to the fact that these bets are paid on time, immediately, and without debate. You still owe me a steak, but that's fine. I bought your meal sometime not too long ago. Didn't I? You bought you bought one in Birmingham that you owed me. But you still owe me another one. I did. I got you a burger in in Hattiesburg the other day. It was oh. a cow. All right. I'll, you know what? I'll let it slide. It's all square. Borky, I don't owe you anything, do I? Oh, a lot, but not because of picks. Just some Tennessee, decency, Richard. Tennessee at South Carolina. The Vols are a three-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. Mr. Producer Michael Borky, lead us off. So I've been beating the drum of underdogs in early games, and I'm going to take a lot of them, and it's going to start with South Carolina. And I can't quite put a finger on exactly why, other than I'm not a believer in Garantano. I do think the playing field has been leveled this offseason. I think South Carolina has some pieces, especially defensively, that they can work with. And an interesting move at the quarterback position. Familiarity with the system. It's not one of these situations where Holinsky had to learn a new offensive system and we'll see what the quarterback's like. The kid they're starting has played for Mike Bobo in that system before. Less of a learning curve. I'm going to take the three and a half points for the Gamecocks at home. All right. 
Hey, Dad, who you got? You guys know me. Will Muschamp, not a favorite of mine. Uh, I, I don't understand why this line is as close as it is, to be totally honest with you. I think Tennessee wins this game relatively easily. So I'm going to take the Volunteers, and I will give the points. I am uh, I'm right there with you. I've got Tennessee minus the three and a half. I just think they're better than South Carolina. There's not going to be that home field advantage at Willie B Stadium. Uh, I like uh, I like Tennessee in this ballgame. So uh, Hey Dan and I both are on Tennessee. Borky is on South Carolina. Vanderbilt is a 31 point underdog at Texas A&M. That is a big number for me. It's not a big enough number. Bruce gave you a prediction earlier. He said 48 to 10. I'm feeling more like 52 to 7, maybe 52 to 10. I think A&M goes pedal to the metal in this game and they do not let up and I don't think it'll be close. The I think the only way that it possibly doesn't cover is if Texas A&M just pulls starters like early third quarter and cruises to the end and gives up a couple of garbage touchdowns. It's the only way. See that's my line of thinking. Not that Texas A&M is not a significantly better football team than Vanderbilt and that they'll win heavily, but 41 to 10 is a push. So I think I'm just going to take the points out of sheer, maybe some early sloppiness, like you said, starters get pulled, things like that. It's just a whole lot of points. And so I'm going to take Vanderbilt for that reason and that reason alone. Even though they have four quarterbacks that are listed as starters on the depth chart with or next to their name. So Yeah, apparently Derek Mason said he knows who his starter is. He's just not going to tell you. Well, and I'm sure the the team and the guys know. At least you hope so. You would um, hope. <laughs> you hope so. So I'm just going to take the points because it's so many of them. Hey, Dad, minus the, the 31, or are you taking Vandy in the points? I'm the opposite of Borky. You could slap another 10 points on here, and I'd feel pretty good about it. I'll take Texas A&M and give the points. I'm with Richard, man. This is I'll be surprised if Vanderbilt scores. I may surprise you on one of these big number games, but it's not going to be this one. Alabama minus 28. I think it was 27 and a half earlier. We'll go with 28 as the final resting place on this line. At Missouri, Alabama, Mac Jones, big day throwing the football. Najee Harris, big day running the football. I will lay the 28 for Bama at Missouri. It's a big number at home. Yeah. 42-14 wins this one, right? I don't think I don't think Missouri's getting two touchdowns on Alabama. So I guess my only question is, can they get 38? Yes, they can. I take Alabama. Okay. I would usually lean, and I'm going to uh, probably once more, uh, at least once more, with the big line for a team at home. But this is the exception for me this weekend, especially with the COVID news in Missouri. I mean, potentially 20 guys not available for Missouri to play in this game. So on top of not having a starting 22 that's as good as your opponents, now you've got depth that doesn't exist. That's not a recipe for even covering a four-touchdown spread. So Alabama. Nick Saban might throttle it back against Charleston Southern. He's not throttling it back against Missouri in the opener when they had to wait a month to start the season. And I don't think Georgia. you can get the, his players to throttle it back. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. trying no, to tell these guys after all they've been through to not keep playing. Georgia is at Arkansas. The Razorbacks are a 28-point underdog at home. Georgia minus 28 on the hill in Fayetteville. Orky, you can go first. I'm going to take Arkansas. It's a lot of points. Could be a sloppy early game. Breaking in a freshman quarterback for Georgia 
I mean, Arkansas, look, they're going to be bad. Everybody knows they're going to be bad, but they do have an experienced quarterback. They do have a really good running back. Not a, not an elite one, but a really good running back. There are some pieces there to make this game ugly and sloppy early to cover the 28 points. So I will take the push here at four touchdowns and go with Arkansas. Okay. Hey, Dan. Same logic here that I had with Alabama. Can I? Do I think Arkansas can get two touchdowns? No. Do I think our, Georgia will score more than 38? Yes. There it is. I'll take Georgia and give the points. All right. Hey, Dad, riding the favorite train, and that's okay. I actually agree with Borky on this one, and, and here's where I'm going to get there. Kendall Bryles is the offensive coordinator at Arkansas. A pretty good play caller. I think Arkansas sneaks its way to 17 points. I can see Georgia winning this game 38-17, which is not enough to cover the number. You know, if it ends up being 49-17, then I guess I'm on the uh, the outside looking in. But uh, I'll take uh, I'll take Arkansas with uh, 28 points at home in their season opener. Kentucky is a seven and a half point favorite on. I'm sorry, Auburn is a seven and a half point favorite at home against Kentucky. Hey, Dad, you bet lead off on this one. Wrong team favored. Okay. Kentucky is just better than they're better than Auburn is this year. I like Kentucky to win this game outright, so give me the Wildcats. I'll take the points. Borky? Uh, Auburn to cover. People are – I know they've lost some pieces, but Gus Malzahn has recruited similarly to the way LSU has, where if they lose a piece or two or lose a bunch of guys, you know next guy up is going to be very, very talented. He recruits top ten talent every single year. Maybe he hasn't coached up as well as people would hope, but Auburn's got a better roster than Kentucky – We'll see what Terry Wilson's like coming off of the ACL, but I wasn't all that impressed with him before the injury. I'll take the home team with the better roster, even with the point spread that it is. Give me Auburn. If we were playing the 10.5 points where this thing opened five, six weeks ago, I'd be all over Kentucky. But the fact that so many people have circled this as their upset special, I'm going to go Auburn. I think Auburn's defense is going to be really good. It's the first time in a long time that Terry Wilson has been a starting quarterback. Hey, Dad, I hope you're right. I, I honestly do. But I hope uh, I'm going to take Auburn at home. Both of you. Right. I'm going to take Auburn uh, at home. All right, we got to hurry. we got a minute and a half left, two games left. Mississippi State getting 16-and-a-half at LSU. I don't know if this is the right call or not, but I like Mississippi State. To score enough to keep it close enough, I think LSU wins the game, but I think it's a... Uh, you know, seven to fourteen point win. I don't think it's a, a seventeen or, or twenty one point win. So if I go by my prediction on the podcast, I got to take LSU. I had it forty five twenty eight Tigers, but I would not bet this game with Richard Cross's money. Okay, I wouldn't bet it either, and it's not like I have the money to do that anyway. But both of our sharps went underdog here to cover, and I've been liking that all football season long, so I'm going to lean with the pros and go Mississippi State to cover. All right, last one. Florida, 13-and-a-half point favorite in Oxford against Ole Miss. I think this one actually settled at 14, so we will go with the line of 14. Ole Miss getting 14 points at home. Season opener, debut for Lane Kiffin. Borky, you're first. Enough offensive talent to keep it closer than 14. I think Florida wins the game, but it's close. So Ole Miss plus the 14. 
It's just hey, like Dan? one or two. Po- it's just one or two points too many. Florida thirty-one, Ole Miss twenty. The Rebels will cover. I guess we're all three on, on Ole Miss here. I, I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't know if I have ever gone into an opening game of a season with less of a clue of what I think is going to actually happen. Same. I can wrap my mind around the idea that Florida wins it by four touchdowns. I can frankly wrap my mind around the idea of Ole Miss pulling off the upset. I'll take Ole Miss and the points since you're giving me two touchdowns. Those are your picks. on Sports Talk Mississippi on this Friday afternoon. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Luke Johnson joins us this afternoon. Southern Miss, still looking for their first win on the season, will face the Tulane Green Wave in Hattiesburg. Tulane 1-1 one one on the season. Coughed up a, uh, a lead against... Uh, Navy. Navy. Sorry, it was Navy. 24 last week. nothing at the half. Led 24 to nothing in the ball game, but uh, not able to hang on. So, Luke, two teams that had a lead last week, couldn't hang on. Southern Miss trying to get their first win, and Tulane trying to go to 2 and 1. How are you, my man? Doing good, guys. Uh, yeah, 32nd meeting of uh, Southern Miss Tulane. We talked to Reggie Collier today. He was actually, he played in the first four games of this. Series Southern Miss leads all time twenty three to eight. Reggie said something pretty funny today. It was his sophomore year. It was uh, the first year he had started against Tulane. He said he got hit so hard he didn't know where he was. He got up and he went to the wrong huddle. He got in Tulane's huddle. And they had to take him off the field, but uh, he got back in there two games later and led the Eagles to victory. But but yeah, it's when you look at statistically, both teams averaging twenty and a half, twenty five and a half points. Her game, like you said, both teams coming in this game blowing uh, double-digit leads last week, and uh, for it's really going to be a trade-off. Uh, Tulane's been really good on the the rushing attack; they haven't been good in the air. Southern Miss is really good in the passing game; hasn't been very good at all defending the pass. And so, both teams uh, really opposites on on either side of the ball. Um, so something's got to break tomorrow. Jack Jack Abraham's fourth nationally. Right now in uh, passing yards, Tim Jones, who probably won't play in this game from everything that we've heard, still nursing a lower uh, leg injury from last week. Um, he's leading the country right now in receiving yards. So if he's not able to go for the Eagles, that, that's a real hurting in their in their passing game. And that really changes everything, right? I mean, Tim Jones playing versus not playing. Yeah, he's, he's leading the team with 14 receptions. Brownlee has 10, uh, but the only other guy with, with more than five catches is Demarcus Jones. So you got to look at guys like Marcus McCoy. Uh, Antoine Robinson was the guy last week that caught that that uh, you know pass that was ruled incomplete in the end zone. There's going to have to be other guys that step up because last week when Tim Jones left the, uh, the ball game in the mid third quarter, the Southern Miss offense they just they went cold. Yeah, Luke Johnson on the uh, the Farm Bureau phone line. So people were excited about the season opener. Air kind of came out of the balloon. Then a crazy week with Jay Hobson stepping down, and then there's some excitement. 
for the start of a new era and on the verge of being really excited last week. But at the end, the air comes out of the balloon again. How important is it to get in the win column so as not to just kind of have folks check out? Yeah, it's a hard game to do it. Um, yeah. Tulane, you know, just three games ago, they throttled the Eagles. But, you know, you, you look at that 30-13 to 13 bowl game, Jack Abraham left in the first half and, and didn't play the rest of the game. So Eagles were, were handicapped in that one. So you're interested to see what Jack Abraham can do. You know, uh, with a full game, the 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 big story going into this game, guys, is Keon Howard, starting quarterback for Tulane, 2016. He got thrown into the fire as a, as a true freshman, as a starting Southern Miss quarterback uh, against Old Dominion. He played a few more games that year. He started seven games in 2017, and then transferred to Tulane. And so he comes back to the Rock, and there was talk in New Orleans last week whether or not he would lose his job. Um, and so you, you got to think that. Um, the, the defense for Southern Miss, and, and one of the, the keys tomorrow is they got to get pressure on Keon Howard, try to force him to make some mistakes. And so you've got one quarterback who is who's played well. You got another quarterback for Tulane um, that has, uh, you would think, probably a short leash. So if Southern Miss, they have to do something defensively because they have just been. Um, we we this is a joke, but you know the, the nasty bunch. And there's been some former Southern Miss players that say don't use that. It's been a tasty lunch uh, for offenses, man. They have been eating the secondary up. There has been no pressure put on the quarterback. So you you got to see something tomorrow or else Tulane, if they can't throw the ball, they're just going to run all over you. People excited about this one, Luke? Yeah, I mean, this was a game, of course, Southern Miss wasn't supposed to, to play this game. Um, and so this is one of those games that got pegged late. Uh, it got replaced on the schedule, and you didn't know if you were going to play one, and Jeremy McLean and uh, Tulane's AD real close. and So, yeah, and the fact you got Tulane to come uh, here, this was kind of the seventh home game with, with coming to to to, uh, to Hattiesburg. So not only do you get a familiar foe, you, you get them in the rock. So, yeah, I think there is excitement. And when you talk about energy, I think the big question that Southern Miss fans have been asking, they love Scotty Walton's energy. They just wonder – Number one, will it rub off? And, and it did last week. Jack Abraham said it was the most exciting sideline he's been on. But the bigger question is, is this type of energy sustainable, not with one guy, but across a football team? And so Southern Miss fans, I think, they, they believe in Scotty Walton. They're excited about the possibilities. They just want to see it continue to trickle down, you know, everywhere in the football field so that it just isn't rubbed off as maybe hype. Luke Johnson with us on the uh, Farm Bureau phone line. You got high school football tonight? Yeah, I just pulled up at, at Ellisville. Um, alma mater, West Jones, they're on quarantine this week So uh, for the next two weeks. So, uh, yeah, calling Laurel and South Jones tonight. Interesting, South Jones has a commit, right tackle Reed Gavin, to South Alabama. And then Laurel has a receiver, Canarius Johnson, Dandy Dozen, committed to Tulane. So, Two of Southern Miss's first two opponents about to watch uh, some of their commits tonight. But it should be should be a good one. Ryan Ernest in his first year at Laurel. Uh, Todd Breeland, who was at Laurel for so long, is the first-year coach at South Jones. So kind of disciple taking on teacher tonight. Hey, I am curious. You mentioned recruiting, and we got the big splashy news from Jackson State early in the week that uh, Deion Sanders was the new head coach. Yeah, Luke, we, we've talked about recruiting and how things have changed a little bit. Southern Miss – I don't want to say had their pick of players that were, you know, kind of uh, 
in that maybe just on the edge of being an SEC or a major Division One commit, but just really, really good football players. And South Alabama's cut into that a bit, and Troy has cut into that a bit, and so is Tulane, and, and maybe even some other schools. Do you view this Deion Sanders-Jackson State hire as something that Southern Miss is really going to have to compete against? I mean, it's something they surely have to take notice of. Um, you can put Haydad on some investigative reporting about potential violations between the newest uh, offer that Jackson State gave Shadur Sanders. So if he eats at Dion's table, is that a violation? You know, so you can put Haydad on that. Look into that. But yeah, I think really it is. I think that um, Dion is going to get looks from people that do that. You know, potentially would be maybe a fringe offer from a from a Power Five school. But yeah, the Group of Five, particularly in Mississippi, and just like what you said uh, just a second ago, we talked to Stephen Godfrey of SB Nation yesterday on the Eagle Hour, and just Again, pressing in all of these regional programs on the rise. Billy Napier's doing it, Lafayette, South Alabama with their facilities. You can't go find Michael Bowley up in, uh, you know, uh, Elkmore, Alabama anymore. You, you, you're not pro- you may not get Rod Davis from Gulfport. You may not get Antoine Cash from Aguila. Those three guys protected me on punt team when I played at Southern Miss, and all three of those guys went to the NFL. It's hard to mm-hmm. land three guys like that that's developed into All-Americans. And so... I think Southern Miss fans, you know, they. I think there's a couple Southern Miss fans that are kind of selfish. I don't think that Dion was ever a consideration. At the same time, he will pull. You'll look up and he'll he'll pull a couple guys there that probably should have landed somewhere else. Certainly, is going to be interesting to see how it uh, how it plays out. So, Wes Jones is in quarantine. So they beat Wayne County two weeks ago. One last week, is that right? Yeah, beat Pedal. They were down uh, 17 going into the fourth quarter. And, Scored 21 unanswered and beat Pedal in the last minute. Uh, held on defensively. So yeah, they they rescheduled tonight's game against Brookhaven to the end of uh, the season, and then next week's game against South Jones they rescheduled uh, to October 30th. And I, you know, MHSAA with this quarantine stuff, guys, are we really going to end the West Point season if they get quarantined in Week One? Are we going to end West Jones season going into a South State championship? You know, West Jones only had one positive case of COVID-19 contract, contact tracing. They had to, to hold out like 27. That's a big question going forward in high school football. Mm. Tough stuff. Glad somebody uh, smarter than me is able to uh, make that decision. We hope so. I guess. <laughs> I guess. All right, Luke, thanks for your time, man. Have a great call tonight, and we'll talk to you next week. Have a great weekend, guys. See you later. That is Luke Johnson, co-host of the Eagle Hour on Super Talk Hattiesburg and Super Talk Laurel. We will a Super Talk Mississippi media production.